Hello, I'm Ben Eagle, a podcaster, journalist, and rural communications consultant, and welcome to Rural Business Focus. This is the podcast for rural businesses and those looking to start a business in the countryside. Episodes are released each Tuesday to inspire and support you to be your very best, both personally and for your business. Please subscribe to the show wherever you're listening, and if you think this episode will help someone you know, forward it on to them. It's the only way the show grows, by you sharing it. So thank you for that. But now. Let's start today's show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 49 of Rural Business Focus. Now, today I'm joined by a seasoned rural communicator with experience across the journalism and public relations boundaries. Claire Taylor is with me. Claire grew up on a beef farm on the west coast of Scotland and went on to study politics and international relations at Edinburgh University. She has a passion for storytelling in all its forms and has almost a decade of experience in writing and has worked with the BBC and the Scottish Farmer, first as a reporter and later as political editor. And she now works for Jane Craigie Marketing, the fantastic Jane Craigie Marketing. She's also a columnist for The Herald. She's currently doing a Nuffield Scholarship with the working title turning the tide on the anti-farming agenda and this is what I want to mostly talk to her about today um I like I like radical Nuffield uh Nuffield titles and this this is definitely one I'm not sure whether the reality of it will be but we'll see Claire welcome to the show welcome to Rural Business Focus thank you for coming on how's it uh, how are things going yeah, thanks very much for having me, Ben. Yeah, all good in a beautiful sunny Scotland at the moment, which we're we're enjoying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although the weather really can't make its, I don't, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm at the other end of the country, but it's like it really can't make its mind up what it wants to do, whether it wants to be somewhere or not at the moment. Tell us a bit about you first of all, where your passion for communications comes from, um, and also the ag world. You've given me a lovely intro there, Ben. You've done your, re- your research very well. So Always. I don't know what else I'll add to it. So for me, my, my actual journey into agriculture didn't really start probably until about six years ago. Um, because before that, I, I did work within the communication space, but mostly within the media. I worked at the BBC for a number of years, just across general news and politics. But my background, like you said, I come from a beef farm. I've grown up um very much of my mum's a vet her mum was a vet and it's always been a huge part of me but I didn't really follow the conventional sort of farming I didn't do young farmers I never really had a lot of farming friends growing up went off to university again non-farming circles totally so how did I get into it well when I when I was at BBC I was working on working on election programs and it was the Brexit um Brexit referendum particularly that was interesting given the huge impact it was going to have on farming And at that time, I didn't feel the BBC was really, really communicating or taking seriously that the farming side of things. And I've spoken to quite a few of the editors. I've been suggesting stories that I'd been seeing in the Scottish Farmer. And, you know, they were were getting to the stories many, many weeks later. And I was getting a wee bit impatient about 
what the next few years were going to hold. And um, it was a colleague of mine at the BBC who'd come across an advert for the Scottish farmer looking for a journalist. And at that point, I wasn't a journalist. Okay. At that point, I was a, I was a producer. So I, I left. I left a very comfortable career and moved into a very different space. <laughs> Yeah, because that's really interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of people will move the other way as opposed to yeah, doing, doing what you did. A lot of people do. And a lot of people told me I was absolutely bonkers. I had, uh, <laughs> you know, I had I had this quite cushy sort of career lined out. I'd been doing a lot of um, shadowing some of the correspondents at BBC Scotland who I still keep in touch with and were fantastic. And I'd been really keen to move more into the journalism, the presenting side. But then I also knew that there are a lot of people, there are a lot of general journalists out there. And I do think there's something about having a specialism and a niche and really developing a passion. And I also felt when you're with such a big organization, you lose that contact with people on the ground. And that was something I knew I was gonna get with something a little bit more personal, a little bit more niche. And that's exactly what I got joining Scottish Farmer. That background I think is really useful but let's bring us straight up to date and turn to your <laughs> Nuffield first of all. Um, now we talk about Nuffield quite a bit on Meet the Farmers but I don't think we've referred to it yet although Anna Jones was on yeah Anna was on quite a long time ago so we might have referred to it then um, but just just for the sake of first of all tell us more a bit about what Nuffield is. Nuffield Farming Scholarship Programme which is what I'm doing currently I'm one of the 2023 intake it's basically about selecting individuals um, across the UK and more widely across the world. And it's to send them out and to travel and to collect ideas of different farming practices and what are people doing in other countries and what can we bring back here to really advance farming and to have different conversations to challenge what we're doing. And it's, it's about building future leaders of an agriculture. And it's an amazing opportunity to build a network of farming, of farming across the world and it's not just for farmers, it's for all those involved in the ag space, all the people that you interview in this podcast. It, it's so many different people that it caters towards. It builds a much, you know, fuller view of all the people involved in farming. And when when did you know that you wanted to do a Nuffield to apply to put that application in? <laughs> so I knew about two and a half years ago that I wanted to apply. But I'm sure like many people who who looked at a Nuffield scholarship, they thought, I don't have the time I'm far too busy and that was me yeah. I, I just kept thinking how on earth would I have time to take off work and to do the travel I wanted to do and I sort of kept putting it off and then I realized the kind of person that I am I'm always going to end up busier and busier every year and, yeah. I, and that is the case that I've got more, more busy as those two and a half years have gone on and then it, I was making a move from my last job at the Scottish Farmer to Jane Craigie Marketing and I, I knew at that point I was putting in an application for, for Nuffield and I'd spoken to the team who I was moving to JCM and I said look I've decided this year to go for that and, and if I'm lucky enough to get selected would, would you support me to to be able to take the time off for that and they'd said yes and then seven months later I I did I got the I got a, a yes after the interview so yes it's been an absolute whirlwind of excitement since. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, I, I just thought before we do go on that, we should probably pause on Jane for a bit because uh, I mean, Jane is a bit of a legend, really, anyway. I mean, I'm, I'm a massive fan of, of everything she does. But tell us a little bit more about JCM and uh, the kind of work that you do uh, north of the border, but also south of the border as well, actually. Yeah, and even internationally. I mean, sometimes yeah. I, I learn every day something new about my own team, the, the clients that they're working with. But um, I've been working with Jane Craigie and also Rebecca Dawes for a number of years as a journalist, I've been following work they've been doing with the Rural Youth Project, but also 
as a journalist, I was seeing a lot of their PR coming through and they're always yep. covering great clients and great stories. And PR in comms is a different world for me. And it wasn't actually a world I ever said I would ever go into. And I remember it was it was Rebecca, Rebecca Dawes and I who had a really close friendship. And I said to her, if I ever make the venture into PR and comms, it would be to work with you. And I said, I said that to her and not knowing that would ever happen. And then so actually that's how it happened. You know, she she did get in contact with me and Jane did as well. And I did at that point, I, I was sort of looking for something a bit different. And to dip my, you know, to try something completely different, really to the journalism field, and that's what happened. That I moved over, and I want because, like you say, like Jane's got an incredible reputation as does Rebecca, and to learn from them has been amazing. They work with incredible clients, but as as individuals leading the business, they are, you know, I learn new things from them every day. So it's been quite a learning journey for me because I definitely was very comfortable in my last job, and I'm uncomfortable <laughs> in this job, and that's a good place yeah. to be. <laughs> yeah, completely. So, yeah, title for your scholarship, Turning the Tide on the Anti-Farming Agenda. Why? What's the why for you? Why this topic? So you, you when you were introducing me earlier, you said about maybe being a bit of more of a, a radical topic, and it's maybe a radical headline. And as a journalist, I know fair, fine well that's going to attract people to the conversation that I'm wanting to build. And for me, it's about establishing, is, is there an anti-farming agenda? And I, I've got different views on that. So I guess through my work as a journalist, I, I've been covering the sort of changing relationship that different stakeholders have with farming. A lot of that can be through the media. There's been a lot of, there has been a lot of negativity around farming and its relationship with climate and nature. And I hear a lot from farmers that they believe there is a, it's a strong anti-farming agenda. And it's something I often would be asked to speak about at, at events, especially given that I had the kind of mainstream media and the farming media background. And I was always asked to talk about it. It's something I've always found fascinating. I do think it's something that is perpetuated within farming itself. And it's something okay. I wanted to really explore. But for me, it's not just about turning the tide and anti farming agenda. It's about how can we get farmers to engage more with different stakeholders and to build a more positive narrative around farming. And to bring all those different stakeholders, be that retailers, be that the media, the public, researchers, policymakers, bring them to the table and have a have a meaningful conversation. Yeah, because for me, this is going to be this is the massive challenge, isn't it? And I, I mean, I saw a LinkedIn post you put out the other day where you're you're currently looking to speak to people across the UK. How many people are you going to speak to for this? Because the list could be endless. It could be endless. And what's really important, and that's something I do want to stress, is the Nuffield journey might only be, you know, two years for my specific report, but the conversation I'm wanting to build is going to extend way beyond my Nuffield. So, yes, I, I put up a post on LinkedIn and Twitter and I've had the most amazing response from people. I, I've got to take time to, to read through them all and I'm going to start meeting people. But you're right. When do you start and where do you end point in that? And all I can do is just create a buzz and a conversation that covers many sort of views as possible throughout this but it's something that I think will be ongoing I'm never going to be able to say I've spoken to everybody because it's impossible but I do think there's brilliant people that can contribute to this and what's lovely for me is working in this space there is so much division and I do actually think my topic has caused a lot of unity and that's actually I know it's sort of counter to what my headline might believe it's actually created unity and if you look at some of the people, I've got policymakers reaching out to me. I've got retailers wanting to meet me. I've got members of the BBC. I've got farming media. They're all coming and wanting to have a conversation. So that's exactly what I wanted this to achieve. 
Okay. So if we just pick apart anti-farming agenda for a minute, I know I know we can get sort of het up with with semantics, but what does anti-farming actually mean? Because are, are we talking about are we talking about the industry itself? Are we talking about the culture behind farming? Are we talking about the community side? Or is it is it endemic? What, what, what are we looking at? What are we looking at? So I guess it would be from different perspectives. If we look at maybe the media perspective, this is probably the easiest place to begin. I know you've spoken to Anna Jones a bit about this already. Yep. It's looking about what are the conversations around farming? How is that maybe being discussed within the policy context? So um, if you look at the policy agenda in here in Scotland, is, is farming being talked about in a positive or a negative way? What are the people who are influencing or informing the debate about farming? And that's really interesting for me because there may be here now, we don't maybe have a strong a rural agenda in Scotland. And that is filtering through into what a lot of people are seeing as an anti-farming agenda, just because it's slightly more of an urban cabinet, for example. So they're maybe not speaking to as you know, as large a rural constituency. So that to a lot of people is seen as anti-farming. Some of the policies coming down the line don't seem to be benefiting rural areas. And it's perpetuating this idea that we're moving towards a future where farming is being left behind, it's being misunderstood, it's not being supported. And there, there's huge concerns that farming is being ignored at a policy level. And that can be sometimes be perpetuated by media coverage. But then we've also got to understand there's there's so much going on right now and it's the same north and south of the border in terms of the NHS, in terms of social care. There's so many competing interests within the media and, and basically for politicians to be thinking about. So how does farming have a loud enough voice within all that noise? Hmm. What's your take on how farmers talk about their own industry in terms of being positive or negative? So I think there are some great examples of, of farmers who are very positive and are speaking up the industry. You see that on social media There's a lot more influencers. You've spoken to communicators in that space a lot um, and they are speaking really positively about it. But there's also a lot of finger pointing and blame. And part of the real drive for me for the Nuffield is I do think farming is very guilty of being in an echo chamber of negativity. And that sort of swirls around. If you look at some of the sort of sentiment towards some of the organizations within farming that are representing it people are constantly really tearing each other down and I struggle with that because I, I don't consider myself completely embedded in farming I don't I see myself really slightly in a I'm slightly removed in the fact that I can see different sides yeah. and it, it, it frustrates me hugely that we're all trying to achieve the same thing we all want to see a prosperous future for farming we can use all the buzzwords around sustainability and different things but really we want farming to be viable for the next generation we want to produce food we want to see success in farming but unfortunately i do think a lot of that progress is being railroaded by division and that can be from farmers themselves mm. so your travel plans for the nuffield uh where have you been and where, where do you still want to go <laughs> what's your plan oh, to, to give a little bit more context nuffield in general you're looking at around eight to 12 weeks of travel. That's the sort of minimum requirements. But um, my topic, as you alluded to, it, it's vast. You know, I need, yeah. there's a lot of ground I want to cover. So you can imagine I'm doing a lot more travel. So, so far I've done around seven, eight weeks of travel. Um, I've, I've been to Canada, Japan, New Zealand, Australia and Indonesia. And that wasn't part of my 
um, study that was actually part of a program put on by Nuffield but that was still giving me a real flavor for conversations in these countries I've actually got about seven months of my own travel coming up and this wow. summer I'll be doing I'll be traveling the UK I'll be meeting with a number of farming businesses policymakers journalists retailers I'm going to be heading off to the Netherlands in the summer but um, my sort of further field travel begins in September I'm off to Africa so I'm off to Tanzania, Kenya, and Zimbabwe. Then I'm off to Brilliant. Italy. In the in the October, I'm going to be visiting the, the, the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization. I'm going to be going off to South America, Brazil, Argentina. Oh. I can see you laughing. And <laughs> it goes on and on. But New Zealand, Australia, and parts of North America, they're also in my sights for next year. So it's going to be a long conversation. But there's so much to learn. There's so much to discuss. and I'm really excited, and and I assume because the uh, the one of the benefits of of the nature of your work, I assume that you can still work from wherever you are, right? So I'm doing part time at the moment with JCM, so I work with them three days a week, which has freed me up to do a lot more focus on my Nuffield, because because there's a lot of planning that's going to come into to obviously yeah. reaching out to people from different countries and organising it, applying for sponsor extra sponsorship, etc. So I am doing taking time for that. I'm also doing freelance writing. So I'm a columnist for the Herald and I've just been taken on by Scottish Field as one of their new columnists. Um, and I'm also doing a bit of commentating here and there. I'm, I'm trying to, I've been hosting conferences. So I'm doing lots of sort of part-time work as I go, but while I'm traveling, I'm gonna be focusing on what's in hand at the time. And that's really important because when I'm here, I'm often juggling lots of things. Yeah. Actually, you never really get that time in life to really have the headspace to fully be present. And that's what I'm trying to do while I'm traveling is to really absorb and, and to focus on the conversations I'm having with people so I can get the most out of it. And then then I'll consider what's next when I get home. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, this podcast is it's, it's about highlighting, I suppose, different different roles, different jobs, different businesses uh, within the countryside and, and different ways, I suppose, making a living in the countryside obviously with, with your hat in, in ad communications, but communications generally, um, for any budding communicators out there, the typical question, what advice would you give uh, to someone trying to make make a start in the space? I guess have, having a passion um, for, for storytelling is, well, that's, that's maybe my own personal journey, but if, if you're somebody that really cares about promoting a positive narrative or not even just a positive just really shining a light on stories and, and the voices and the people and the places involved in yeah. farming and wider agriculture or the environment space and there's so many things within rural to talk about I, I didn't do the journalism route I didn't do the communications route in terms of an actual degree in that and I don't think that's a necessity I think you can learn on the job but I think yeah, it's about I completely agree yeah, so I think it's about, you know, reaching out to people that maybe you admire in the space or you'd like to grab a coffee with, have a Zoom call with, have a conversation. How did they get into it? I mean, there's, there's that, that. I mean, that's what, what I did. I mean, a lot of my role in the BBC was networking. I yeah. worked my way up because I would pick producers or presenters I really liked and I would meet them for a coffee. And then I say, how did you get to where you are? How, you know, how can I start to form my own journey? And it's the same for the ag space. It's the same for the communication space as well. Like you mentioned Jane Craigie there, Rebecca Dawes, you know, they're, they've got brilliant advice to people looking in that space. There's amazing people within Farmers Weekly, Farmers Guardian, you know, other, other papers, and they're always looking for new journalists. But there's also a, amazing, you know, wider marketing and communications companies that are always looking for new talent, and they'd love to have a conversation, whether it's interning or work experience. I think there's 
lots of avenues into it but um because not everybody I think people can sometimes be nervous they're maybe nervous about writing I mean if I can yeah. tell you something about myself I actually failed my first two prelims in higher English at school and, I, and I, wow. my, my writing was quite good but my close reading wasn't great but then I went on I did very well in writing and I'm now quite an accomplished writer yeah. so sometimes you might think that you know it's not you but you might not be approaching it the right way there's you can always improve on things uh, you know as you develop things so I think just having the passion and the desire at the start can actually be a good first step <laughs> That's great advice. Um, let's step back into uh, into the farming world properly and, and this idea of an anti-farming agenda. Again, so if, if there is an agenda, this this is this is perhaps a little bit unfair, especially especially you've got so much more to do on this. But who, if anyone, is leading that agenda or is it more of a general culture within the, the wider food supply chain? Oh, so what are my views on that? So. I think naturally there's a lot more conversations in the last few years around the net zero agenda and climate change. And as part of that, we're taking a much wider look at who are some of the contributors and the people to have conversations about within that space. You've seen governments across the world, you've seen some of the ambitious targets set um, at COP27 and different, different meetings. People are looking for answers and ways to really tackle this moving forward because that is the big, that's the big topic today is about how can we tackle climate how can we tackle the nature crisis and farming has absolutely been identified within that as a contributor and this has been definitely jumped on by the media it's been jumped on by a lot of organizations a lot of climate change committee reports there's a lot of big pieces of work being commissioned around this and I guess one of the things about farming that's it's become abundantly clear is when it comes to government or it comes to media, it's much easier to, to maybe put out a headline where you're encouraging someone to reduce their meat consumption or that than it is to say, don't go on holiday with your family or, you know, to, to sort of impinge on other parts of life because things like food waste isn't as sexy maybe to talk about and fossil fuels, we talk about it all the time. There's so many other things that we've covered so much ground on, but livestock production particularly seems to be one of the big things that people have been talking about in recent years and I think we've really sort of honed in on that I think a lot of policies is developing I think right now in the UK given the fact that we are developing a new agricultural policy post-EU I think it's opening up the conversation around how can we design a future policy in the context of the net zero journey which is why a lot of the focus is, is sort of everything's sort of coming together at the same time and farming sometimes is put a little bit in the farming line the firing line because of that mm. taking that as you're on the policy side do you see because i mean there's still there's still a lot up in the air isn't there but do you see in the different parts of the uk um different agendas being forged or, or do you see similarities or, or are there quite stark differences I don't, uh, yeah, do I, I wouldn't really call it agendas, but would I say different frameworks completely that are, are, are being looked upon, even just in terms of the development of removal of funding, if you obviously down in England, you know, there's going to be a removal of subsidy fully by 2027. I mean, that's the current, that's the current journey of thinking. So the big changes there for farming, whereas up in Scotland, it's not quite as dramatic as that. We're looking at a 50% reduction in the next couple of years, and but there is still that very much a move towards what can farmers do within delivering on public goods but 
prime of primary importance is food is still a big part of that food production and we're still having conversations in Scotland about farmers as food producers I would say both north and south of the border and obviously it's not just Scotland and, and England and they're just the ones I know more about but yeah I still think food is missing from a lot of that I still think mm. when you go to a big conference everybody likes to open on environment and, and nature and these are critical and they, and they go hand in hand with food production but there's a nervousness around government, certainly here, to actually talk about the importance of food. And I find that deeply frustrating because farmers produce food. That's a huge part of their responsibility. But they don't. there doesn't seem to be that sort of cohesion about, you know, marrying all these different factors together. And that's something I found quite difficult over the years. Rural Business Focus is brought to you from Rural Pod Media, the only podcast production agency to specialise in the rural sector. We're on a mission to make rural stories mainstream and help businesses, organisations and communities like you to tell your story through podcasting. Podcasting is a fantastic way of connecting with your audience, whoever that might be getting your message out there and networking with leaders in your niche. Rural Pod Media can help you by launching your new podcast or helping you with the technical side. We also provide podcast training and an audit service if you already have a podcast, but you're not sure where to take it to next. For more information or to book a call, visit ruralpodmedia.co.uk. That's ruralpodmedia.co.uk. Um, I mean, a big one here, but the role of social media, um, uh, Twitter, especially as a platform, has been in and out of the news recently. Um, what influence does social media have for you in terms of, I suppose, a sense of the, the framework of the debate? Actually, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here, but it is still linked. The framework of the debate when it comes to unity and disunity, perhaps as a like delayed result of both Brexit and the COVID years and, and everything else, the Trump era. That, that question seems to me to be coming to that forefront more and more in terms of the, uh, the conversations I'm having with people personally, the, the stories I'm reading. But when it comes to social media, obviously the different platforms are set up and the, and the, algorithms, the algorithms work in different ways in order to, uh, let's say, encourage debate. That's probably the nicest way of putting it. But what influence does social media have for you in terms of this sense of unity or disunity? So for me personally, I actually have a I have a really strong and positive relationship with social media. And the reason I'm saying that is on, on my Twitter, I, when I put up a post and I get quite high engagement, some of my ones traveling, I look at who are the people that are engaging with my posts and they're from across the board. Yep. And that is why I love Twitter. And a lot of people struggle with Twitter because there is a lot of negativity in that space. But I can put up a tweet which gets engagement from our cabinet secretary for agriculture, but also opposition parties, but also retailers, but also farmers, media yep. from all spaces. So I do think there can be a unity there if it's used in certain ways. Social media can also be, you know, a cesspit of negativity. And I've had it, you know, I'm a columnist that is talking about farming and occasionally I'll, I'll verge into more kind of political topics, especially in Scotland. If you talk about independence, you know, you, you get a lot of traction on social media and, you yeah. can attract negativity or positivity on that. And that is quite a difficult thing to, to navigate. One of the best bits of advice I was given actually earlier this year about social media, and it was from Mark Gascoigne. So he's a dairy farmer from New Zealand that was touring Scotland as part of the Farm Strong Initiative, yeah. looking at mental health. 
and he was saying, you know, um, I don't know if I, I'm allowed to swear in the podcast, Ben, but um, you can, yeah, <laughs> for the purposes of a story. But he was saying, you know, we so often will put up something on whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, other other platforms, and we just seek out the negativity. And he said. But there could be 95% is people really supporting, giving great feedback. But we look at the real, you know, we look at the real negativity. And he said, it's like choosing to step in dog shit as opposed to walking around it. Yeah, and yeah, that yeah. has massively changed my mindset since he took, because I sometimes would just sit and really dwell on the negativity and the, the hard comments I got. But ever since then, I've taken a wider step back and thought, well, look at the support and look at the positive thinking and contribution. Some of it is challenging ones and they're good too. I want to be, challenge for what I'm doing I got challenged the whole time I was traveling my Nuffield why are you doing this why are you not going to the, why are you not going to Africa I was challenged yeah. on it and now I'm going and that's good it's good good debate to be having but um I just thought that was quite an important thing social media is, is again we're predisposed to seek out negativity and bias <laughs> yeah and then a uh, very similar question, but uh, for, for for the conventional media landscape, we're talking really broad here now, but in terms of the, the framework of the debate on, on that question of unity and disunity, and I suppose when I'm saying unity and disunity, I'm not saying here that we need to all agree with each other or all disagree with each other, but whether we structure telling these stories and the way that mo more stories, I suppose, try to either encourage unity or, or, or disunity. Well. What, it, what is absolutely clear, particularly within papers, I would say, and, and, and work, having worked for working for a broadsheet and then having just been at a magazine um, for many years, there's an increasing pressure within this industry to put out captivating headlines or stories to really pull people in because it, it's a bit of a dying trade. So you're, you are seeing now a lot more of those sort of those headlines that really pull you in that can be quite negative and they cause divide. They, Editors now, commissioning editors, they're seeking stories or, or ideas that are going to really create debate or contention. And that is something I've been seeing because I don't think I'm okay. the most contentious person. In general, I try to unify, but that I'm not an editor's dream in that sense because I probably, I want to tell a good factual story and have a good message, but that isn't sexy, it doesn't sell. So I do think conventional media now, they sort of drive off that debate and that contention. But, um, but then we've also got a society that's moving away that actually nobody really wants to have debate these days either. You, you can mm -hmm. you can get cancelled for having certain opinions too. So sometimes I find it very confusing because you want to say something, but you're thinking, oh, I should really think about what I say before I say it. Because you put it out there in social media, you put it in a paper, in an article, and you can be really shot down for it. So there's a lot more thinking that goes into communications now before you write anything. Yeah, I was going to say. I think the only uh, the only more, more difficult line of work must be it must be comedy at the moment. I think with, with, with that <laughs> yeah, in mind, comedy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, communications generally, and uh, th these are broad questions, but I'm, I'm interested in your, uh, your your response to it as a whole. I suppose. What role does communications have for you in formulating change or in influence influencing the nature of discussion in the agri and a wider rural sector i suppose in terms of setting the agenda that's that's where this question leads on what is the role of communications and, and communicators generally so i've been asking myself this question a lot recently because i've been thinking how can we influence change and is communications the best medium for that and yeah. why i think communications is very powerful is because it provides a platform of discussion and conversation and to 
highlight certain issues or certain voices, like I was saying earlier. But I also think the way you use it to, you, you can reach so many people and the people that you are reaching are the electorate and our policymakers, they care what the electorate think. And, you know, given the fact where, you know, in the next couple of years, we're going to have a couple of big elections coming up. So if you can target your communications in a mindful way and an informed way to promote thoughtful conversations and discussions and really influence the people who are reading them. I, I Sometimes I don't like that, that term influence or educate. I think quite patronizing. Inform is maybe a better way. I think you can it can be quite a critical role to play in, in then that feeding back to, to policymakers. Because I know when I write my columns, I think, what is the impact I want to have from this? I want yep. people to go away and think, oh, that's an interesting conversation. Then you discuss it at the dinner table or they talk about it in the pub or whatever. And then I want the policymakers to see, or oh, I'm talking about that and they are aware who I'm speaking to and they'll be thinking about it. And I think it's a really good way sometimes to get a message to people who are setting the agenda. The impact of your scholarship generally and and yeah I, I completely understand you've got quite a long way to go on this yet but <laughs> what what impact would you like it to have at the moment and that could be that could be sector-wide that could also be on you because I know that yeah Nuffield Nuffield has a big impact on on Nuffields personally as well yeah you're absolutely right I so if I, if I go for I'll do myself last if I don't okay. for the sector while I'm doing my travels I want to be sharing what I'm doing, sharing the voices of the people I'm meeting in a really positive way. So to build following around that and to say that I'm building a real na narrative of discussion. And then as I meet people and I, and, I, and I come back with some of those stories and examples from abroad, my absolute dream, that whether this will happen or not, Ben, I don't know, <laughs> but my dream would be to do a road trip and actually to get out and have conversations with people across the country, whether it's in Scotland, whether it's UK wide, and to bring different people together and share some of my findings. I'm not going to, I don't want to be there. Here's my Nuffield, let's present it in a boardroom. I'm not interested in that because I can do that at a conference. I can do that at the Nuffield conference. I want to speak to farmers on the ground and to actually hear what they have to say, because I know I'm in a position I can feed it back to different stakeholders. And I want to sort of engage in those conversations because there's too many people that I don't think turn up to all the events. The amount of times I go to events and it's just the same faces, the same organisations. So yeah. for me, it's about how do my findings get out to the wider field? And so my delivery element of this, if I can if I can find a way to do it in a time frame and a funding frame, I will try and do that, is to make sure that it can unify people across the country and we can have a conversation about it and get them excited. But that will take other stakeholders to come in in that journey with me. But that's, that's what my hope is for this. And I've already got, um, people from DEFRA, I've got people from the Scottish government who are speaking to me that are interested in my findings and I feel that's amazing already and I've not even really got my teeth into it so if I know that I've got that there as one side of it I know the retailers want to speak to me etc I want to make sure that farming is not lost in that because at the end of the day they're the views that are so important and I think the phrase um the phrase the shoes um, what was it shoes on the carpet shouldn't tell boots on the ground what to do I think that there's a room for both at times, but I think we need more bits on the ground. And that's what I, I want this to do. But me personally, I want to get outside the bubble of Scottish and UK agriculture and the mindset that we're focused on our own. I want to be able to be like, you know, we're part of a global agricultural um, sphere and we're all we're all trying to target food, food security, not just here, but further afield. And I think we lose sight of that sometimes. And I want to know 
you know, how is climate, how are these big conversations around climate change and nature, how are they affecting other countries? I want to learn about that and speak to those farmers, speak to those policymakers to widen my knowledge so then I can share those stories. But also, I just want to know for myself because I just think, you know, it's, yeah. too, it's too small sometimes to be ignorant to what's happening. But so for me, it'll be about having those conversations. And long term, I mean, there's a couple of career hopes I have from this, but whether it's the advocacy route I go down or whether it is documentaries because I started originally I did a bit of documentary work and I'm literally going to be story gathering as I go I'm going to be meeting some of the most amazing people almost in every every continent in the world I'm going to be brimming my documentary ideas book will be brimming with ideas so can I put any of that into practice at the end of it I mean who knows that what's going to happen but that would be exciting (laughs) no fantastic well, both for both for this particular project and and going forward as well, it'll be it'll be fascinating to see how you bring all bring all that together. Are you are you doing recordings while you're while you're out there with with the people you're interviewing? Yeah. So at the moment, I'm trying to work out. I'm definitely going to be doing videos and sharing those. And the few that I have shared has had just an amazing response. Yep. So I need to do more of that. I'm considering potentially doing some podcasting when I'm out there. Really? I've I've just started recording a new podcast. Um, which has not been released yet. Oh, it's about oh. to come out. Exciting. Yeah. Do you, yeah. do you, uh, have you got a name yet that we can search? We do. It's going to be called Feeding Our Souls. And yeah. it's myself and an amazing woman called Anna, who that I met I met from Brazil. So we're doing, and she's a communicator in Brazil. We're in different hemispheres. Amazing. We are both communicators and we're both driven by people and farming and stories. And we're just going to have, we, we're going to have a conversation that isn't technical because we're not technical experts, but we care about people and we're just going to have a bit of a conversation. So that's, we've recorded a few, so that's coming. But um, nice. but yeah, I just want to keep having good conversations and I'll share things on my, um, on my new website and stuff. So I'll be sharing a lot as I go. Excellent. Well, this conversation has certainly been wide ranging in a very short <laughs> amount of time. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for that. But I'm going to ask you the final few questions, which I ask everyone when they come on the show. Okay. Um, the first one is uh, a bit personal and it's uh, what do you do so that you keep focused on your goals and that could be personal or professional goals. And that'll be because you are, you are a very busy person and you've got lots of, lots of uh, hands and lots of pies doing lots of different things. So um, yeah. How do you keep focused? Do you know, I, I, I do far too much and I'm exhausted a lot of the time. But the thing that really keeps me focused and I guess motivated is when I surround myself with really positive, energizing people. So I'm a very sociable person. I do see my friends a lot and a lot of my friends are not in farming. And yep. it's good to step outside of the bubble and to have conversations with my friends that are artists or dentists or teachers. And it just fills me up to just remind myself that there's other things out there to to care about and to have conversations about I'm also big into sports so I do a lot of bouldering and I'm out running quite a lot I go to the gym keeps me sane keeps me fit and and keeps my mental health as well as my physical health in check so very important to me and it allows me to eat lots because I love food so (laughs) (laughs) absolutely and uh, yeah finally how do listeners uh, follow you on your various social media channels how do they get in touch and how do they just mostly just follow your Nuffield travels so um, I'm going to be sharing everything on my website, which is uh, clairetailormedia.com. So um, it's a website for my, for my work, but it's also going to be where I'm going to put videos and Brilliant. share some of my blogs. And sometimes I'll just have 
probably ramblings that I want to share about different things that are happening, they're going to go there. Um, I'm also going to be sharing some pieces of some um, publications that so they'll be coming out about my Nuffield journey. So I'm sure people will follow them in that. But my my Twitter, which I believe is my my handle is CJ Taylor 92, which gives away my age. But um, <laughs> so, so I will be I'm quite vocal on Twitter. I was when I was last traveling and I got an amazing response. So I'm going to keep doing that on Twitter and LinkedIn and Instagram. I do I don't do as much posting on there. But again, I, I will be sharing stuff from there as I go. Fantastic. Well, we will leave it there for today. Thank you so much, Claire, for coming on. That's been, uh, yeah, like I say, wide ranging. But um, yeah, I think there's uh, there's some gems in there. And uh, yeah, hopefully it's inspired a few few more people to uh, get involved in the comms space. Uh, but yeah, that is it for today. Uh, big thanks to my guest today, Claire Taylor. Thank you for listening. As usual, I would love to hear your thoughts on today's episode. Uh, we're on Twitter at RuralBF underscore pod or on Instagram at Rural Business Focus. Um, any extra info you might need today, uh, check out the show notes for those. Uh, next time, um, I will be with entrepreneur Amanda Marshall uh, discuss, to discuss her business. She'll be with me then. Uh, for now, though, I'll leave you in the way that I leave you every episode. Try to do one thing this week that helps you progress and one thing that helps someone else. Keep focused and I will see you next time.